0: Good morning, family. My name is Mulyadi Hartana. Today I'll be reading from the scripture, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 to 27. And I invite you to open your Bibles and read along with me. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wrath, but we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is God's word. Okay, hi everyone. Good morning. morning. Hi, hi. Um, I'm really happy to be here today. Um, Thank you for uh, reading our passage to kind of get us started. Um, Before we begin, wow, it's a lot of people. It's so different being up here singing than like trying to share the word. It's a whole other experience. But anyways, um, my name is Rose, and um, I'm really excited to be here today. It's an honor. Um, Thank you, Pastor Andrew, for asking me to share the word. Um, So before we get started, I just want to share a little bit about myself for those who doesn't know me, and then after that, we'll jump right into scripture. Um, So uh, yeah, this is me and my family. Um, So I was originally born in Haiti. I moved here to the States when I was three years old. My parents immigrated here, and um, my brother and sister all came along, so I am one of four. Um, I have an older sister, older brother, and then we had a younger brother that passed away back in 2012. Um, but yeah, this is us on on, on my wedding day. Um, Let's see, what else did I put up there? Oh, okay, cool. All right, so <laughs> this is my husband. Um, so as it's very fitting to the passage for today, I thought it would be great to showcase the athlete, uh, which is him, not me. I'm not the athlete in the family. It is my husband. Um, this is when he was at Cal, and he was playing discus and shot put. And <laughs> um, yeah, so he was a division two, what, what is it, favorite? Division one athlete. Uh, He did really well. (laughs) This is not my lifestyle, guys. That was his. But this is the athlete. I married him. Um, This is us. We've been married for three years. We got married in 2020. We moved up here to the Bay right afterwards um, to start ministry at um, Cal. Um, So my husband and I were part of crew, Athletes in Action. So we actually got to minister with athletes, student athletes. So um, I did get a little bit more preview into that. The most of my athleticism goes to high school. I did track and field and I did weightlifting then, but that was many years ago. I have not yet uh, continued that training. So <laughs> I kind of ended there. Um, so other than that, um, you guys know I work at the Bay Area Rescue Mission. I manage the program there for the women and kids. i um, been there for three years since I've been up here. It is truly an honor and a blessing. And I do want to say thank you to Solano for consistently coming out Every single month, every third Saturday to play game night with everyone. It is such a blessing. So thank you guys um, for doing that. So that is me. All right. So let's go ahead and get into today's um, passage. The the title for my sermon um, is For the Sake of the Gospel. Um, It really, as I've been preparing for this, it really, really, really convicted me, and at the same time, it really just encouraged me to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. Um, You know, We do this in all other ways. We put in our, our efforts into work, into school, and all sorts of things, but what would it look like if we actually lived a life that was for the gospel? And um, so to begin with, I'm going to read our passage once again. And it's up here, there we go, all right. Um, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Um, So let me just pray quickly before we get in. Um, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this day and all that you have given us, God. I just pray more of you and less of me in this moment, God. And I just pray that you would just soften the hearts of all of us here, Lord, to hear what you have to say. Amen. So, to begin with, I just want to give a quick little summary of uh, kind of what we've been learning together as a church. Pastor Paul and Pastor Andrew have been leading us through 1 Corinthians. And um, chapter 8 and chapter 9 uh, kind of has a little buildup to the passage that we're reading for today. So, Paul has been, you know, illustrating and talking about, you know, foods, idols, and all these sacrifices that were needed to be made at the time for the gospel. He talks about how to handle conflict amongst the Jews and Gentiles because of the food and you know, the idols and, and the different things that they were doing. So he himself, he inserted himself into this as well and, and then he talks about how he um, puts aside his rights as an apostle for the sake of the gospel. So the verse that basically summarizes everything in these two chapters is 1 Corinthians 9 verse 9 which says, um, be careful however that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. So, really, what Paul is trying to do there is he's trying to help the believers in the Church of Corinthians understand that yes, we are free in Christ, we have all these liberties and freedom that the gospel has given us, but that doesn't necessarily mean we get to do things however we want, whenever we want, and just for our, our own personal um, desires and needs. Instead, Paul writes earlier on in Corinthians and he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. So we know. We are free in Christ, who the Son set free is most definitely free indeed, but what are we to do with this freedom? What is it supposed to look like? So what Paul is suggesting is that we be concerned about our life and how it is a witness to others. He emphasizes that in the freedom that he has gained in Christ, he has made himself a slave to everyone for the sole purpose of winning them to Christ. And it reads in verse 24, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. So as I mentioned, Paul starts asserting himself to the Corinthians and he says, hey, I'm an apostle. I have certain rights. I have certain privileges. But because it could potentially cause any contention between you guys or cause any hindrance to the gospel being spread, I'm not going to exercise those rights. Forget it. For the sake of the gospel, he did everything. Um, But Paul is not done making this point. He goes on and on and on and on about it. And then this kind of brings us to this passage here, which is um, our main focus, the 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. He now brings in this analogy of an athlete. He brings in this illustration to really drive home the point, guys. Do it for the sake of the gospel. Run the race. Train like an athlete so that the gospel could be spread. So in these few verses, Paul continues to elaborate on how he was able to run the race and win others to Christ. He gives us insight as to how he was able, he himself was able to live a life that was fully sold for the gospel. So Paul adapts this mindset. He has these different attributes and behaviors of an athlete in order to set out what he has been commissioned to do, which is to share the gospel and to win others to Christ. So in today's passage, we're kind of going to go over some of these mindsets, some of these attributes and kind of see and witness some of these behaviors, not just in Paul as to how he was able to share the gospel, but also in Jesus as well. So the first point that I kind of want to talk about um, is mindset, or what's called the mentality of um, an athlete. So in the passage, it reads, again, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. This isn't the first time that Paul is talking about um, athleticism or running races or anything like that. This is an analogy, an illustration that he continuously uses throughout Scripture. Um, so, for example, in, in Timothy chapter 4, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. He also goes on to demolish some believers in Galatia who are starting to lose their faith in God, and he scorns them by saying, you were once running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So the idea of an athlete and running races is, is very familiar to the Corinthians. Actually, in the city of Corinth, they used to host what's called the Isthmian Games, which is very similar to our Olympics today. And, um, you know, so they'd have these competitions. The athlete would prepare, train, do their little what athletes do in order to get ready for, I'm not the athlete, guys, uh, in order to get ready for, the, for their race and in order for their competition. Um, So that's kind of why Paul is using this analogy is because he knew the Corinthians would be able to understand it. And we, too, can understand that today. Like I said, we have the Olympics. So being that I'm a little ignorant to what athletes have to do and what they need to do to get prepared, I use Google, and Google was very gracious in helping me understand what it would look like if I wanted to go to the Olympics. So I went onto this very credible resource called WikiHow. And um, I Googled how to train for the Olympics. And this is what came up. And it actually is really good. So I want us to read it. It says, athletes compete in the Olympics, uh, who compete in the Olympics don't just make it on natural talent. They They get there because every day they put in the hours of training needed to make it to the international level. If your goal is to qualify for the Olympics, you will have to dedicate yourself completely centering your days around the gym, time, and training. Training involves not only spending time practicing your sport and strengthening your body, but also getting used to competing in high-pressured situations and becoming mentally and physically as strong as you can be. So this isn't just a physical thing that athletes have to kind of go through and endure, but it's a, a mental thing that they have to kind of prepare for as well. So the first thing, as I mentioned, I wanted to address is the mentality or the mindset of an athlete. So really what mindset is, it's just the perspective under which we operate. It's the way we think. It's our views that we have on things. And our mindset is really what influences our actions and our behaviors. And it's what we lean on to motivate us when we're trying to push forward. So for Paul, his mindset stands out. The mindset that Paul had was don't let anything get in the way of the gospel. Do whatever it takes to win the prize and that is the mindset that he lived under the way of think this way of thinking really allowed Paul to put aside his freedom his rights for the gospel and even in his suffering he was able to go back to that mindset of do whatever it takes for the gospel to the point where he used every situation in his life to share the gospel with others We know Paul, very similar to Jesus, as he's, you know, going on his mission trips, he endured a lot of hardship, a lot of ridicule. He was imprisoned very often for the sake of the gospel. But this is what he writes in Philippians 1, 12. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So he's in prison, suffering, and all he's concerned about is that his imprisonment, his current situation is exemplifying the gospel and he's spreading the word of God. That's what his focus on. So as I mentioned, I work at the Bay Area Rescue Mission. Um, My husband could tell you that is a fun job. (laughs) Um, It takes a lot of time. It's very demanding. Um, There's days when I'm Going at eight, and I'm not home till eight o'clock at night, you know, and there's days when I'm off, but there's an emergency, a kid's running away, or whatever. There's always something popping up at the rescue mission. so when there's days to where everything just goes wrong and there's days I just kind of walk around, and I'm like, you know what, it's just whatever, <laughs> it's okay. We deal with a lot of different people, we deal with the homeless, we deal with those that are coming in because of abuse and domestic violence and all of these different things. Um, so you really have to have a very specific mindset working in that environment. Um, I tell every person that I interview, because we're hiring right now, by the way, but I tell every person (laughs) that um, I interview, I'm like, you really have to feel like you're called to this position. You really have to feel like you are on mission at this place, because the different things that you're asked to do, the environment that you're in is quite demanding. But this is the mindset that we have as employees at the Rescue Mission. It's our mission statement, and it reads... We exist to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to the homeless and the needy, empowering them to change their lives. All that we do at the Rescue Mission is for the sake of the gospel. That's our mission statement, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to the needy and homeless, empowering them to change their life. That's the only reason why we exist, and that's what makes us so different than any other shelter that you can think about. So kind of think about us and ours, our lives too, guys. If we lived under that mindset of everything that we do is for the sake of Christ, then our lifestyle and the reason why we exist will completely be different as well. Um, So to continue, lost my point here, but to elaborate on that, because we have that mindset, because that is our mission statement, we don't just exist to exist. In um, and, and the verse, Paul says, um, you know, I do not aim, run aimlessly, and I do not box beating air, meaning there's rhyme and reason to everything that he's doing. Just like us at the rescue mission, there's rhyme and reason to what we do. The curriculum that we teach on addiction or abuse, it's all inundated with the gospel. How we talk and how we train our staff are the principles of the gospel. Our core values exhibit the gospel. Everything that we do is for the sake of the gospel. Um, So with all that being said, and kind of going back to Paul and kind of what keeps him going, he says, you know, he looks forward to partaking in the blessing that he has when he brings others to Christ. And that for me too is the most rewarding part of my job. Um, There is nothing more gratifying to be in a place where little miracles are happening each and every single day and to really see people give up their life completely to Christ. They leave their lifestyle behind and to fall into God's knees and profess to him as their Lord and Savior. Every time I see that happens, I literally cry and go to my knees and give all the God the glory because it is only because of his power and his love that people are able to start a new life. But that's my reward. My reward is seeing others come to Christ. My reward is seeing that mom, you know, who hasn't been home for five days and her daughter is not in school come through our program, reunify with her other kids, and then give their life to Christ. That's what makes me get up each and every single day and endure the difficulty and endure the chaos is that. That is my reward. So if we're adopting this mindset as believers what, what, what does it mean? It also means that we too have to be focused. It means that we too also have to be purposeful in what we're doing. and We have to keep our eyes on the prize. And for us, our prize is Christ Jesus. It's the eternal life that he has promised for us. So we need to run in a way that we may obtain it. So in verse 24, I just want to make it clear when he says... Do you not know that we run in a race? All runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. He's not saying we're in a competition with one another like, oh, I got five people to Christ today. How many did you get? That's not the point at all. Really, that point is illustrating the mindset that we need to have. We need to run so that we may obtain it. We need to keep our eyes fixed on the prize. So that is what we need to do. So the gospel, it promises us truth, freedom, and love. It offers hope, acceptance, and joy. These are all the things that we desire. And when we know, when we finally accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we experience that, we want to go and tell everyone about it. It's like your favorite smoothie or your favorite restaurant. It tastes so good, you just want everyone to have a piece of it. So as believers, we really need to adopt a mindset that's going to motivate us and push us closer to our prize, which is, again, an imperishable gift. Um, of eternal life that can only be given to Jesus. But this call, it doesn't just, it it calls us to something higher and it's not something that just happens passively. It, It does require effort on our part. There are things that we must do. Yes, God has freely given us his love and his grace, but for example, we still have to accept it. So this isn't a passive thing that happens and this kind of leads me to my second point, which is the attributes of, of, of an athlete and how that relates to the gospel. So athletes, you could look anywhere, you can Google, you can ask an athlete, you can ask my husband after, after service, you know, what is it that kind of, what do they do in order to win these races and and compete in these competitions? What do they kind of live by? And most of the time, not even most of the time, it's universally known, it's self-control and discipline, We know that athletes have to live a very crucial lifestyle in order for them to be ready. They got to be up at 4 a.m. They got to be in the gym conditioning and and doing all of these things, but that requires self-control and discipline. So in the passage in verse 25, Paul says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things, not some things, not just in what they eat, but how they think, how they act, what they look like, all things excuse me. And being that they have to keep, they have to stay focused and they can't be distracted by anything else that's going on. So we're kind of familiar with self-control. It's a virtue. It's, it's a fruit of the spirit. We see it abundantly throughout scripture. And we're also familiar with self-discipline. And these two things are basically, help me with this uh, idiom. It's one, it's a coin. That's two sides of a coin. (laughs) Thank you. English was not my first language. So (laughs) Um, two sides of a coin. (laughs) So you have self-control on one and you have self-discipline on the other. So we'll kind of look at self-control first and kind of see what that means and and what it breaks down to. Um, There's this really elaborate quote that I found on what self-control means, but I'm going to just point out a couple things in it. Self-control in itself is a discipline, but it's a discipline in the face of pressure from immediate urges, desires, and compulsions. So basically, with self-control, we're able to delay immediate gratifications that we want, things that we want, desire at that moment, with the hope or expectation for something greater later. That's basically the sum of self-control. We're kind of saying, no, I'm not going to do this right now, anticipating that there's something greater to come. And oftentimes we, we exercise self-control in these impulses that we have, the, you know, what we want to eat, what we want to drink, how we want to dress, what do we want to say, what we're feeling at the moment. That's kind of like when we uh, exercise self-control. And actually last week in um, the, sam- the sermon, Pastor Andrew was giving us an example of, of self-control with, amongst each other and the sense of alcohol consumption. So I want to kind of play this out a little bit. Let's say you have a friend after church today. You guys want to go grab some lunch and be like, man, that was a great service. But you know that that friend of yours has a history of alcohol in their family or they themselves are struggling alcohol, alcoholism. So when you go out to eat you, you're fine. You don't have any issues with alcohol. You're good. Jesus turned water into wine. You're really excited to just have that burger and fries with a nice little beer or mango margarita, my favorite. Um, <laughs> but in that moment, let's, 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 let's exercise some self-control and ask ourselves a couple questions. Do we have the right to drink alcohol? Yeah. Like we, we can drink alcohol. Okay. And do we have this urge or this impulse to, you know, pair that nice beer with some fries and burgers? Yeah, yeah, that that would be really nice instead of just washing it down with water. But will this be a stumbling block to the brother or sister that you're having lunch with? And if yes is that answer, then it's very crucial that as believers, if we're trying to live a life for the sake of the gospel, we need to consider that person at that moment and not be a stumbling block for them. So, as I mentioned, athletes lead a very different lifestyle than most, and they do that so that they can win in their designated sports, and self-control is one of the things that guide this lifestyle. So we, too, as believers, we need to have a lifestyle that's governed by self-control and discipline in order to maintain our goal and win our prize as well. Scripture tells us over and over again about how there's a certain conduct that we must have and there's a way that we must carry ourselves both amongst unbelievers and believers. In first Philippians it says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Colossians 4, 5 through 6 says, conduct yourself with wisdom towards the outsiders. And finally in verse 1 Peter 2 it says, keep your behavior excellent amongst the Gentiles. So like an athlete, the things we do, the activities that we participate in, even in the midst of the pressures from this world, from our culture, we must be willing to restrain ourselves for the sake of the gospel. There's certain privileges that we should be able to be like, you know what, it's not worth it right now. What matters most is you and me being a good witness to you. So, again, living for the sake of the gospel. Now, this isn't meant to be legalistic. This is not a, a list of don't dos and, or anything like that. And legalism, it's, it's about, you know, keeping a rule to be loved. We've already gained Christ's love what we're doing with self-control is keeping an integrity and showing the love of God to others. So I just want to make sure that that point is clear as we're conducting ourselves to not get trapped in, I'm doing this to gain God's love or favor. No, we're showing God's love through how we are conducting ourselves to those around us. So I've experienced this in other areas of my life too growing up. Um, I'll share quickly. uh, College is kind of when my faith took you know, it went through the roof. Like, that was yay, super Jesus rose. You know, that was that was it. Um, I was saved at a very young age. My dad himself is a pastor, so I was raised in the church seven days a week, 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. at night. No exaggeration. (laughs) I come from a Baptist background, so we were in church. We were in church. Um, So, And being that my dad's a pastor, we had prayer meetings and all of those different things, not just at church, but also at home, too, on a very regular basis. Um, So that's a good thing, by the way. Um, But in college, that's kind of where my my relationship with Christ really started to develop, and my faith kind of really became on my own. And I got involved with a lot of mission trips. Um, I did a lot of mission trips back to Haiti. Um, I did a lot of medical mission trips and, and served my country that way and as we're preparing for these mission trips we always you know have the team meetings and we're getting prepped up and ready to go for it and there's always these rules of okay don't say hi to strangers da, da, da. okay yeah all those are good to keep us safe I get it uh, I'm from Haiti I'm used to the culture I'm used to the people so I'm like yeah 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 got it Um, but there's always these other rules of, you know, how we were to dress and what we're to wear and all of these different things, and... I had to exercise self-control at those points. You know, being a young young gal in college, I'm trying to be cute. I'm trying to find Aaron, but he was here at Berkeley and not at UCF at the time. So, you know, I, I had these strong urges and compulsions, and sometimes I'd get a little irritated because I'm like, what you mean I have to wear a skirt, and I have to have my hair out, and I can't wear pants and jeans. These are my rights. These are my freedoms. Like, I'm not doing anything wrong. Like, what? Why can't I do this? But what I had to realize at that moment was, and the whole purpose of a mission trip is to share the gospel with other people, right? So we have to be mindful of how we dress, how we look, how we talk, for the sake of not hindering that. So, I had to learn that the area, it wasn't my hometown, but it was a different area that we were going to. They were very traditional in their beliefs, they were very traditional in roles of men and women. Um, And there was not a community where you would often see women wearing pants or anything like that. So, I had to put myself aside, put my desires and impulses inside, and do this for the sake of the gospel. Yes, we wore our long skirts, we didn't do our makeup, we kept it very simple and plain, but it doesn't matter at that moment. That's not what we're there to do. It's not a fashion show. Aaron wasn't in Haiti at that point either. (laughs) So we were there for the sake of the gospel. We were there to share the word of God and bring others to it. And as Paul is trying to tell us, we should not let anything hinder that. Even our personal rights that we claim we have or our freedoms that we have, and we do have them in Christ, but let's use our freedoms for the sake of the gospel. So just to continue to kind of wrap up this point, I just want to touch base on on discipline um, very quickly. Um, Let's see here. Okay, so it says in the verse, uh, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, um, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I find myself disqualified. So like I said, self-control and discipline, they go hand in hand. They're two sides of a coin. (laughs) And um, now let's look at that side. So when when we have a goal at hand, you have to discipline yourself in a way to achieve it. Disciplining yourself refers to things that you are adding in efforts to get better. So self-discipline says we should do something even when we don't necessarily feel like it. It urges us to forgo some of our current activities for more rewarding ones later. So self-control is we avoid or refrain from doing certain things versus in self-discipline, we're practicing things that are gonna get us closer to our goal. Um, And to kind of bring this point home, I'll share another part of my testimony. Um, Growing up with an immigrant family coming to the States, my parents didn't speak English. Me, my siblings as kids, we had to help them a lot with things, whether it was navigating through the different systems and translating things, whatever it is. Um, Also at that time when my my little brother was alive, he had a lot of health issues and difficulties and things like that. So... Me personally, and I think my siblings could kind of feel the same way as well, we were constantly having to do stuff. Um, we were very busy as kids. Um, oftentimes, it was not always time for play. It was you know, time for responsibilities for, for the sake of our family. And that's totally fine. But by the time I got to high school and it was time for college, I was ready to go. I was like, "Woo! there's a light at the end of this tunnel. I'm going to college. I'm going way out. I'm going to come to Berkeley. I'm going to find air. This is going to be great. You know, and my mom actually did tell me one time that she really thought I was trying to get out the house to be all horrible and stuff in college. But anyways, um, but, and they're watching right now. Hi, mom and dad. Um, so I got to be a little careful. Um, but anyways, I'm in high school, you know, I'm applying for colleges. I knew that I wanted to go to the best college possible. I put myself through so much rigorous academics, dual enrollment. I did it. AP, I did it. IB, I did it. After school activities. I did it. Student government. I was there. I was training myself. I was preparing, practicing for SAT scores. I'm going to get into Harvard. You know, I'm going to get in and I'm going to get out of Florida. I'm going to get out of Orlando and go somewhere else for college. That's what I want. Those are my desires, those are my flesh. And all of that pretty much came crashing down that last year, my senior year in high school when I was applying to colleges and getting ready to go, my parents said, no, you're you're not going anywhere. In fact, we even moved closer to my university that my parents wanted me to go to so that I would stay home and go to UCF. Guys, that made me very upset. I was really angry at that, and I was really angry at God, too, because I was like, I did all of this stuff, I got all the good grades, I got so much scholarships from other universities, I could have gone to school for a full ride, and now my parents are telling me no. So my parents were great parents because when we were young, what they would do is they would always train us in these spiritual disciplines um, for moments like this. So growing up, um, every single night before i go to bed, my parents would always make me read the Bible, memorize a verse, and when I said goodnight to them, I had to tell them what the verse was. Um, uh, Yeah, and um, always in prayer, but they always taught me as well to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and to always obey what God says. And so in this moment that I'm in, you know, I have to make these decisions. My flesh says go. I want to do what I want to do. My parents are telling me no. I'm 18, by the way. My legal rights is to do what I want to do, but I'm still living at home, and I got parents, and I also got the conviction of the Holy Spirit, so I prayed to God about these things. I'm like, God, what do you want me to do? Where am I supposed to go? How am I supposed to deal in this situation, and guess what? The Holy Spirit said no, too, He actually said and reminded me of a verse that I would have to memorize when I was young, which was, children, you must obey your parents. That was a really hard pill to swallow. That was really hard for me to deal with because I wanna go, I have these desires, but in the disciplines that I've learned and actually practicing them and listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, not only was he confirming what my parents' decision was, but God was also telling me no too. So I obeyed, fine, I did it. I did it, I went through college at UCF. It was a struggle, cause I had to get my mind right. Um, but it really wasn't until the end after I graduated and I look back and I really see how God truly blessed me throughout those years. And really, God needed me to be home at that time. He needed me to be there for my family. And I'm so grateful that I was there during that time. And God just kind of really showed out in a lot of different ways and just redeemed those circumstances and actually ended up giving me the desires in my heart, but just in a way that I couldn't even fathom it would come. UCF was the only reason Aaron saw me in a crowd at a bonfire in the middle of the night. I had a hat that said UCF on, and he asked me about, hey, you from UCF? Or you go to UCF? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, do you know your team's undefeated right now? He's talking sports. And I was like, no, not really. Don't know what you're talking about. He's like, yeah, football, you guys are undefeated. My response, well, go team. Like, I did not know what was going on. But look, I married him now. Um, and the desire that I had to go off to college and to go off to these, you know, really prestigious universities and things like that. It didn't happen, but God rewarded me in a different way. I got to come to Cal and do ministry with the student athletes for three years, you know? Yeah, it was not me going to school there, but I got to be there and experience it and work with the students. So he redeemed those things in in a lot of different ways. So really what I kind of just wanted to to get out with with that testimony was We do have to exercise self-control in different things. There are things we have to refrain from, and we also need to have these disciplines or spiritual disciplines, which we've talked about. We did a whole series of them, fasting, prayer, reading the Bible, worship, um, all of these things. We do need those things in our life as well because when it gets tough, when it gets difficult, and we're at standpoints and there's decisions we have to make, those are the things we have to rely on us to keep our eyes on the prize and to stay forward. So everything that we do at the end of the day needs to be weighted against whether or not it's going to hinder us or help us towards the pursuit of victory. And again, self-control, avoid and refrain, but um, self-discipline. We want to practice things that are going to help us get closer to our desired goal. So the final point that I kind of want to talk about are, are the behaviors, or we can say examples, of, of what this looked like. We've seen how this plays out in Paul's life. I've shared bits and pieces of my life where that i have actually played out. But I do want us to take a look at what, how it played out in Jesus' life as well. So the last few verses said, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So this is talking about our rewards, our gift. It brings up the concept between, you know, perishable versus imperishable. During Paul's time, athletes, they competed for a prize, and I think I have a picture. That's what they were competing for. (laughs) They were competing for pine leaves and celery. (laughs) Um, That was the prize, guys. That's what the athletes were training and running for, and that is a very perishable reef. By the time you pick it off the tree, it's already about to wither and die. But hey, they wanted to put themselves through all of it for it. Go for it. Um, today, we do it for gold medals and, and the accolades and people recognizing who we are. But, you know, at the end of the day, those things don't last. We don't get to take those things with us into heaven. Those, those things wither away just like the other things of this earth. So, you know, we kind of have to ask ourselves, are we willing to run this race and run this course for imperishable gifts, which are the things that the world wants from us, or imperishable gifts, the eternal life of Christ and his rewards and his blessings and his promises. We kind of have to take a look at that. So we are willing to train ourselves like an athlete and we are willing to do, prepare ourselves mentally and physically, but we're just doing it for the things that want, won't last. Matthew six twenty one warns us, it tells us not to store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves can break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. They already knew that the things that we are putting all our efforts in now wasn't going to mean anything at the end of the day. Um, So Paul shows us in his own race how he was able to exemplify the mindset, the attributes, and behaviors of an athlete. But most importantly, let's look to Jesus to see the same thing. Before Jesus started his ministry, he was brought out to the Holy Spirit to fasted for 40 days and 40 nights into the wilderness. During that time, Jesus exhibited self-control by denying himself natural things, no food, no water. And even as Satan tempted him with the kingdoms of the world, Jesus was able to restrain himself from giving in. If anything, he responded with boldness and quoted scripture directly. And in my personal opinion, the ultimate example of mindset, control, and discipline were the days leading up to the death of Jesus on the cross. When that time came, Jesus went away and prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. And he said, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done and not mine. And that moment, Jesus realized even in the face of death that was before him, he had to discipline himself. He has to get his physical body in control and keep his eyes on the prize, which was eternal salvation for us all. And as a result, he was rewarded by sitting at the right hand of God. Even in the face of death, Jesus was able to exercise himself like an athlete. But he saw the prize, which was eternal life for everyone. And that's what kept him going. So everything that Jesus did during his time on earth was an example of an athlete, like I said. Nothing distracted him from what he was doing, not ridicule, not suffering, and not even the promise of death. Every miracle he performed, every sermon he gave, all had a purpose. We learn the same thing from Paul, too, and from Jesus, that even unto death, both stayed on the course and finished their race. The prize for both was an imperishable prize of salvation for all. And at the end of their race, Paul looked forward to partaking in the blessings of those he won to Christ. And like I said, Jesus was raised into glory seated at the right hand of God. So I just want to encourage you guys. We're already doing this. All of us in here are already acting like an athlete. We all carry some sort of mindset under which we're operating in. For example, for those of us who, who go to work, you wake up every single day on time, you get to work on time, you exercise self-control and discipline and following the rules and procedures that your manager says and what you're supposed to do and not do, and then you get your prize at the end, which is a paycheck, Um, but you're already doing this. We're already doing it, and then for some of us who are workaholics, I can be one myself sometimes, even when sickness or other things come in the way, we are still like, no, I gotta go to work, right? So we live our lives for the sake of our job. For those of us that are in school, we do it already. We are up at six o'clock in the morning, staying up late, studying, reading those you know, difficult books, dealing with those difficult professors. We're keeping our eyes on the prize, which is that degree. So we're already doing this. We're doing that for the sake of getting our degree and finishing school, but what would it look like if we applied those same principles into our spiritual life? Remember, there's nothing in this life that is more important from the, than the gospel. So let's learn from Paul, and then let's most importantly learn from Jesus on how to live a life worthy of the gospel. If our lives are set up for the sake of the gospel, then we will win the race in the end. I'll leave you with this last passage from Hebrews. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy is set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you too would not grow weary and lose heart. So in reflection of today's passage, I just want to end here, and I just want to offer you guys the opportunity to just think about how we could start living our lives like an athlete, our spiritual lives like an athlete. What do we need to make that shift? What is it that we need to be motivated by? Do we need to work on our mindset towards the gospel? Do we need to exercise more self-control and discipline in different areas? Maybe the first step is for some of us to come up. It is prayer time. I'll invite the prayer team up. Oh, that's how you do that. Okay. <laughs> but um, maybe the first step for some of us is to really come to the cross and to really start giving our lives to, to God, to pray to him and to ask him for courage and to ask him to give you the endurance to run this race. And maybe for some of us, we are already in labor. We're all already toiling with other people in our lives, friends, neighbors, coworkers that we have been an example to and we want them to so much come to Christ. Maybe right now is the time for you to come up for prayer and to pray for them. Maybe you need more encouragement during this time. So I just want to thank you guys for this opportunity to talk, but please come up for prayer. Come up if you need to know who Jesus is. Come up if you need prayer for encouragement. Come up for prayer if you need it for those that you are trying to get to, um, those that you are trying to win to Christ as well.